Hi, and welcome to Author Uncut. I'm your host and author, Patrice Williams Marks. Today, I'll be reading Chapter 11 of my revenge thriller, Counterpunch. But first, if you enjoy my podcast, I'd be grateful if you spread the word by leaving a rating and a review. Author and Cut can be found wherever you enjoy listening to your podcasts. Rest in power, George Floyd and Rashad Brooks. Here's the synopsis of Counterpunch. Everest was not the perfect mom, but what she was was fierce. After her husband Anthony died at the hands of a drunk driver, it was up to her to raise their daughter Mo alone. Her love for Mo was both unmistakable and unshakable. But when Mo failed to return home from swim practice with not so much as a text, Everest knew something was wrong. Will Everest find Mo in time to save her life? Better still, what will she do to the scumbag that brutalized her daughter? Make him pay. Chapter 11 At 15 After the assault at her father's construction site by a subcontractor, young Everest fell into a deep, dark sinkhole of depression. She became a different person. She no longer enjoyed playing tennis or spending time around people. She virtually cut off contact with all of her male friends. And although forced to eat while at home, Everest would later purge the food when everyone had settled down for the night. The thought of eating made her physically sick. She became extremely irritable and hypersensitive. When her mother, Bibi, asked if anything was wrong, Everest simply lied and said, No. She didn't want to open up to her mother or anyone. Although she was 15, Everest had yet to have a deep conversation with her mother about anything, so confiding in her about the assault was not an option. Bibi accepted her no response and didn't bring up the subject ever again, but Everest had secretly hoped that her mom would push her, prod, and stay on top of her until she heard something resembling the truth. That never happened. Everest's mother never worked outside the home or even had dreams of her own that she shared with a living soul. Although Bibi kept a tidy home and went to all the PTA meetings, not at any time did she really get to know the children she gave birth to. It was as if she was doing her expected duties without any emotional attachments. There was a disconnect between the heart and the head. Everest hoped that one day things would change and her mother would care enough not to take her lies as a gospel. But as she grew up and eventually left the house to experience life on her own, the snapshot she had of her mother never wavered. But Everest had no idea that her mom knew exactly what had happened to her. The moment it happened, Bibi felt an ache in her chest, followed by heart palpitations. She nearly lost her balance as a wave of foreboding gripped her, needing to reach for the nearest wall to steady herself. Without any outwardly cause to do so, she wept, not soft and quiet, but deep and guttural. She knew something had happened and that she was powerless to help her daughter. 
When Evers came home and ran to her bedroom, Bibi recognized her signs of distress. Those signs were as clear as day to Bibi. Lack of eye contact, isolation, and avoidance. Although Bibi never discussed it directly with Evers, she did with Ray the moment he got home. Ray was exhausted from multiple errands as he tossed his hard hat on a side table, removed his boots, and placed them near the front door. Bibi took Ray into their bedroom and shut the door. They spoke in hushed tones. Everest's dad would always listen to his wife because she was not one to speak simply to hear the sound of her own voice. She communicated more with instinctive facial expressions and body language than words. But when Bibi felt the need to say something out loud, it had an impact. Ray was not a man to dismiss anything his wife said as he trusted her intuition. Ray was upset by what he heard, but he did not give way to tears or shouts. He was taught to suppress his tears and shallow his emotions as they would make him appear weak to the outside world. Instead, he chose to handle it. He reached for the phone on a nightstand and made a call to another supervisor at the job site. After speaking with that person for several minutes, he got an accurate picture of what had happened. Apparently, the supervisor saw Everest burst from the office trailer as if escaping from something, and a moment later saw the subcontractor exit right behind her. Ray hung up the phone, knowing exactly who the man was that laid hands on his daughter. Without saying a word, he rose from the bed and left the room on his way back to the living room. He shoved his boots back on and left. Bibi didn't ask where he was going or who he was meeting with. She simply watched him shut the door behind him, then pulled the curtains back and watched him back out of the driveway and hang a right. Bibi drew the curtains tight, walked down the hallway to Everett's room, and knocked on her door. In the most serene cadence, she spoke through the door and asked Everest if she was ready for supper. Exodus 22, 2 If a thief is caught breaking in at night and has struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. Ray drove up to the Whisper Lounge and parked his pickup truck next to the entire line of open-bed rigs. The Whisper Lounge was the only bar within nine miles of the construction site that stayed open until 4 a.m. He marched inside and stood in the doorway, analyzing the layout of the bar. It had a front door, but no visible back door. There must be an exit through the kitchen, out to the alley where the trash gets picked up, he thought to himself. Ray walked over to the bar and ordered a beer on tap. As he sipped the stale suds, he turned around and studied the face of every patron until he zeroed in on the subcontractor. The subcontractor was in the back corner attempting to play pool. In a drunken stupor, he fell against the pool cues attached to the wall, nearly knocking their shelving from the wall. After sharing uproarious laughter with a fellow drunk, he locked eyes with Ray. The subcontractor paused mid-chortle as Ray advanced towards him. The subcontractor stroked his chin, trying to camouflage his anxiousness. He managed to paste a spurious smile across his face. 
Perhaps it was just a coincidence that Ray was at the same bar as him. Perhaps he had no idea what went down earlier that day. No need to assume the worst, the subcontractor thought, as he waited for Ray to speak first. That was his second mistake. Ray never uttered a word to the subcontractor. He did not appear angry or out of control, which relieved the subcontractor. However, that was out of the ordinary for Ray. When his face burned and his throat pulsated like an animalistic howl awaiting to break free, you could see it coming a mile away and prepare for it. But when Ray remained silent, that was when heads would roll. Ray placed his half-empty mug on the edge of the pool table. The subcontractor's buddy took several steps back, bumping into an empty booth. He poured himself into that booth while keeping a scrutinizing eye and safe distance. Ray stood solidly in both feet with arms at his side and hands that formed tight fists like bowling balls. The bar's ambience transitioned from shouts and classic rock background music to stillness. The hum of the cigarette vending machine suddenly became the prevailing melody. The subcontractor reached out his moist palm to shake Ray's hand. Nothing. He put down his drink and feigned placing his pool cue back into the casing. But instead, he gripped the stainless steel collar of the cue and without warning, pitched it, aiming for Ray's jaw. Instead, it made contact with Ray's right clavicle, splitting it into two separate pieces. Ray winced at the shock from the impact, but wasted no time in shoving his fist into the subcontractor's abdomen. With a force that could only be described as pure justice, he pulled his fist back and punched him a second time in the same location and with greater force. The subcontractor felt blood vessels burst from his eyes as his diaphragm collapsed. He dropped to the ground with a thud, mouth full of bile and blood. Blood rushed into his abdomen like a quick-moving fire. Ray leaned over the subcontractor and pulled him up by the collar with one hand. With the other, he knocked an incisor loose. He released his collar as the subcontractor's head snapped back and hit the peanut-shelled floor. The bartender picked up the phone, ready to dial the cops, but the subcontractor waved him off. The bartender put down the phone and picked up a towel to clean up a spill. Ray stood up, nursing his shoulder as he trudged towards the door. Ray returned home exactly two hours from the moment he left. Clearly in pain, he struggled to remove his boots at the door. B.B. entered the room knowing exactly what to expect. Ray was someone she could depend on to support the family with whatever it took. If that meant cracking a few heads, so be it. She knew just by looking at him that he had found the monster. She studied his face for any signs of a broken nose or perhaps bruised or cracked ribs. What she did see was blood spotting and small splinters embedded into his right shoulder. She helped Ray remove his boots and gestured for him to have a seat in the living room. Ray sat on the edge of their couch. The adrenaline that masked his shoulder spasms had subsided, causing the sharp pangs to intensify. Not one to fuss over an injury in silence, B.B. removed Ray's shirt, one arm at a time. She was curious about how Ray found the man and what exactly happened, 
especially if they were to expect a knock on the door from law enforcement. But now was not the time to seek answers. She was simply grateful. Everest stepped out of her bedroom for the first time since coming home. She had to walk past the living room in order to get to the bathroom. She caught sight of her parents on the couch and wanted to speak to them, but decided against it. She walked into the bathroom and shut the door. Bibi turned her head towards the bathroom with a sense of resoluteness before gazing back at Ray. This was a man she could always count on to take care of their family, no matter what had to be done. That's it. Join me next week for Chapter 12. Counterpunch can be found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books, Google Play, and Kobo. Want to leave me a voice message? Visit my anchor.fm page, the link is in the show notes, and click on the button that says Message to leave me one. I may just use your voicemail in a future podcast. Want to suggest a show episode or get in touch? Visit me at authoruncut.com or send me an email at mailbag at patricewilliamsmarks.com. And finally, to join our email list, go to authoruncut.com. Until next time, write on.